Preparation has been the key of what we've been speaking about over the past number of weeks. Today I want to talk about preparing for the good fight. Preparing for the good fight. Yeah, I said the word, fight. All right, now I'm going to talk about why we're going to fight first. We have to understand why we have to fight before we fight. I am so thankful that the Lord uh, is patient with us. And I know that we are to prepare our hearts and our minds to come into his presence. And I think today was just a great example of how uh, we've done that. We have, through praise and worship, we have prepared our hearts and minds to come into his presence. And he's so faithful to give us of his goodness when we're prepared to receive. All right, so last week we discussed Paul's words to his spiritual son, Timothy, um, regarding godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, what do you suppose the gain is that Paul is referring to here? But godliness with contentment is great gain. What's he talking about? I think this can be a wide variety of areas. I think that the great gain here that Paul is describing is personal for your gain, personal for my gain. So it's going to vary from person to person. But I can very well tell you, I believe, with with all confidence, that the gain that Paul's talking about here is gain that lasts forever. It's eternal gain. It's not something that would come and go. In this world, we can gain something and lose it very quickly. We can find it. You can get a new pair of gloves, right, John? And then lose them the next day, right? So they don't do us any value, do they? Right? Great gain in the gloves that I had, but now that I've lost them, there's no gain to me anymore, right? So if God's going to give us great gain, recognize that the gain that he's going to give us is eternal. It's not something that we're going to lose here on this earth. So it's important that we, we recognize that and that we, we know the gain. And so we're also reminded that we're to keep our eyes focused on Christ in this world. Because this world, we're going to have a lot of things, a lot of distractions that are going to come our way that could distract us from the gain that Paul is talking about here. So we need to stay focused and on Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the New Living Translation, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So this great gain that Paul is referring to clearly is heavenward. It must be on heaven because we're setting our, 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 our focus, our eyes on heaven so that great gain would come from there. So with that said, that, that, that kind of sets the tone for where we're going to go the rest of the day here and, and even more in the next few weeks when we start talking about how do we gain that gain? How does that come to us? And I will tell you that this gain comes to us at great cost. Now, you might want to know why I would say that. Why would I say that anything that God gives us comes at great cost to us? I would say that because the Bible says that. Let's read it. First Timothy chapter 6. 
Verse 11 and 12. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Verse 12. This is the key verse. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. So it appears from this passage then that what God is going to give us is going to require a good fight on our side to get it. And I'm going to clarify this a little bit later, so just hang with me here a little bit because this is important that we understand this. Yes, the gift of salvation is free. There's nothing you can do, nothing I can do to earn God's salvation. That is a free gift that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And he saves those that are in the worst condition. He doesn't say, clean yourself up first and then come to me and I'll save you. He says, no, you come as you are. And if you repent of your sin, if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you're sorry for your sin, and if you recognize that Jesus Christ is the only Redeemer of your sin, and if you come to him and say, Jesus, I am sorry, I am a sinner, would you forgive me, and now I'm going to repent. That means I'm going to turn away from my lifestyle that was repulsive to you, and I'm going to live a lifestyle that's pleasing to you at the best of my ability through the prayer that we've been praying, and now would you forgive me? His answer is yes, you're forgiven. Now, he says, I will clean you up. We're not to live in that garbage the way we were living before. We're not to confess his name and then live like we didn't change. No, we're to live differently, but it's his job to clean us up. Right? Do we agree with that? Did you, do you agree that there's going to be a change? Do you agree that there needs to be a change? Yeah. So now that you've agreed that there's going to be a change, now let him change you and let him change me and let us change this church and let us be changed to his glory. That's the fight we're talking about here. The, first, the, the, the moment of our salvation, that first moment of belief, as important as that is, that's the belief that brings eternal salvation. See, if I don't have that first moment, if I don't have that crisis moment where I have to recognize that, wait, there is something wrong with me. I am broken. Something's ugly about me. It's just not right. And I have to have that moment of crisis. It's a crisis point where I have to recognize that something's got to change. And then that moment of change comes when I accept Jesus as my Savior, and then he gives me that freedom, and he gives me that joy. That can happen in an instant, right? And it does happen in an instant. Salvation is not progressive. Salvation is instantaneously. Because after that moment, I'm going to heaven, like the thief on the cross. He went to heaven after that moment of time, right? But for us that do not have that death experience right after our salvation experience, now the process begins because now the rest of life is, my, is, is, is for me. I, that, that moment of salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of eternal life. And now I have to start living in it in this life, right? This is the fight I'm talking about. This is where it's going to be a great cost to us because the salvation is free but yet what it's going to require me of me is everything I have. It's like the song we sang about giving the little that we have to God. And then he will take something and make something out of that. I have to give it to him. And I have to be willing to give myself totally to him. That's the cost I'm talking about. We, been, we talked about, the, about the counting the cost a few weeks ago. There is a cost to our salvation. And we need to recognize that there is something that we need to do because what we've done in that moment of salvation, we've exchanged ownership. 
I've now given him ownership of my life. That instant that I said, Jesus, I'm yours, he said, okay, now I'm going to take you. And now you belong to me. You're not your old man anymore. You are not the, the, the man anymore that's at the center point of your life. Christ is now at the center point of your life, right? And now he calls the shots, not me. And I, have to, and I have to live that way. That's the cost I'm talking about. That's the battle. That's the fight I'm talking about. That we need to recognize that we now have a life to live that is pleasing to the Lord. Man, I tell you, I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything. Doesn't mean I don't. It doesn't mean I, I don't do anything like this, but I don't want to do anything that would bring dishonor to my Father in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? You know, in many situations, when we are living in the world, we talked about this in Sunday school class today, a, a great a, one of our discussions, that so many times when I'm in my, if I'm in the job, if I'm in the world, if I'm in the marketplace, wherever I'm at, um, and there are people there that are unbelievers, I can pretty much assure you they're not reading the Bible. The unbelievers are probably not reading the Bible. So in that regard, you as a believer, as a true believer, me as a true believer, I am the Bible that they're reading. They're reading my life, right? So I am the only Bible that many people read because they're not reading the Bible, but they're watching me. And then if I'm not living a consistent biblical life, I'm confusing them. And now I'm becoming a stumbling block because the worst thing I can do is profess it and not confess it. The worst thing I can do is profess it and not live like it because then when I start doing that, I'm bringing dishonor to my Father in heaven. And he's not pleased with that. He's not pleased when I do things because I'm afraid of looking a certain way in front of men. I, I, want to, I, I don't want to honor him. In fact, the Bible says if you don't recognize me in front of people, I won't, Jesus says I will not recognize you in front of my Father in heaven. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Yeah? So if I'm going to be afraid of people, if I'm going to be afraid of what they're going to think of me because I'm a Christian, and so therefore I'm not going to live like a Christian, but yet I'm going to profess I'm a Christian, we're bringing dishonor to our Father, number one. And number two, what we're doing is that we're telling him that we're afraid to honor Jesus or honor our Father in front of men, and he's going to say, you know what? You reap what you sow. You're sowing right now that you're fearful of men. You don't fear me, you fear men. Scary place to be. So we're this, this is the fight I'm talking about. This is where we're going about here. That's why I spend so much time um, preaching out of the Bible. That's why we spend so much time quoting passages that I don't want to be um, misled myself. And I don't want to mislead you as to how we live this life after we've had this moment of salvation. That's called discipleship. So there's some action required on our part. There's some action required on our part. In that passage we just said, we are, it says we are to run from all these evil things. All right? I, that was, I, I skipped over that pretty fast in First Timothy, Timothy. He said, you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. What are these evil things we're to run from? All right? Let's just get our context right. Let's go back up and read the verses before this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. These are the things that we're to run from. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. 
Paul tells Timothy, his spiritual son, run from these things, Timothy. Don't spend your time seeking after the things of this world that are temporary. Not to say heaven money's bad. I'm not saying that. Don't misread what I'm saying. Money is not bad. It's the love of money that brings the sorrows. Because I'm, I'm seeking things that are more temporary than eternal. That's, the, that's what we're trying to run from. And, and you may say, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> well, can I say that we're all rich? And when I compare this ourselves to the global economy, we're all at the higher level. Okay, and, and, and even if you are at poverty level here, we're not talking about money. Okay, We're talking about running after the things of our own pleasures. We're talking about putting my pleasures in front of godly things. That can be just as damaging as money is my time. In fact, I would say that our time is more valuable than money because I can lose money and I can regain it. I can lose money in the, in the market, in the stock market, or I can lose it on a bad uh, a business deal, or I can give it to somebody and never get it back from them, but I can make more money. But my time, however, is irreplaceable. I cannot get it. That second, it's gone. Never going to get it back, right? Every second that ticks by, I can't get that back. So I would say my time is more valuable than my money. So maybe you don't put money here for the love of money maybe the love of time okay maybe the love of my personal time is more important to me therefore that could become an idol to me we've been talking about idols a lot in our uh, killing kryptonite wednesday night classes and i'd really encourage you to come to that it's just been so so good in fact we've had some of our best church on wednesdays just so you know so anyway we are to stop running for all these evil things, Paul says. But now he says, so, continue on, go back to our, 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 the previous verse. So we pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Notice that these are all actions we're to be doing. We're to be pursuing things that are going to require from us a diligent and intentional action. We're to pursue righteousness and a godly life along with pursuing faith and love and perseverance and gentleness, right? So, and I, I just want to, I, I believe that the church overall is missing the action part of being Christians. We're missing the action part. We, we say, well, I'm a believer. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But maybe we never get to the point where we make him our Lord because lordship requires action on my part. I can be a saved person in an instant by my, by my words, but it's my action afterwards that says, Lord, or Jesus, you've moved from my Savior now to Lordship because now you own me and now there's action required. And I think many in the church have missed the point and that's where the devil likes to take us. The devil loves it when people get saved then don't do anything after they get saved. Because I would say, if we go back to the Bible, what the Bible says that faith without action is what? So I can have saving faith for the moment, but if there's no action afterward, it's not going to survive. So the devil doesn't care that you get saved at the altar. In fact, he loves it if you get saved at the altar, but then don't do anything with it afterwards. This is what we're talking. This is the fight that I'm talking about. This is why I'm spending so much time talking about the fight what we're, that, before I get into talking about what the fight is. 
We have to define what we're talking about. You know, the amazing thing here is that if I, if I look at my moments of my days here on earth and recognize what they really are, what I'm doing here on earth is going to determine what I do for all eternity. We have 80-plus years here on earth. I'm in my 60th year of my life here. And what I'm doing in my time here is going to determine what I'm doing, what I'm going to be doing for the next million years. So our time on earth here is not the end all. Our time on earth is simply the thing that is qualifying us for where we spend eternity and what we do in eternity. And if we don't do it well, we can lose our eternal reward. And I can even say, and I would even take it a little bit more dire, we can spend eternity in hell where it is punishment and suffering and gnashing of teeth and more than what we could even begin to describe if I don't recognize that my time here on earth is really that important because this is a, this is this pendulum swinging back and forth called the clock, tick-tock, tick-tock, all that stuff. What I'm doing in this time is determining where I'm going to be doing when time is no more. When eternity is happening where day after day after day after day it never ends. And, and I will tell you that I want to make sure that I spend my time now preparing myself so that I will spend eternity in heaven, not eternity in hell. All right? We've got to make sure we get that part right first. We must make sure that we're living holy, righteous lives so that we, we, we're there. And now, once we're living there, now what are we doing now to, re, to... Now we go to heaven. Now there's rewards in heaven. Now I want to spend my time here, tick-tock. I want to be spending my time here creating, storing up rewards in heaven. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That we're not to be focused here. We're supposed to keep our eyes focused on Christ, setting our, our eternal rewards of heaven, send, sending them ahead. And that's the cool part about it is that we can even send rewards ahead and they'll be there when we get there. It's pretty cool stuff. That's why we pray this prayer. Strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualifies us to share, who qualifies us to share. Did you hear that? Jesus qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Those are the ones that are already there, and he's qualifying us through our actions today, through the fight that we're talking about today. We need to be strengthened by God with all power. Whose power? Yeah, God's power. The Holy Spirit's power. He lives in us to empower us. So we can then do the things in this life that would qualify us to share in the inheritance. I want to share in an inheritance, don't you? I don't want to be the one left out of the inheritance. I don't want to be the one watching everybody else share in their inheritance and I'm sitting over here because I got nothing. Well, the way you share in the inheritance is you live a life here, righteously. So the, the life of a Christian is a battle. And if anyone tells you it's not, then one of two things are happening. Either they're lying to you or the life that you're living is not worth battling over. <laughs> and I say that in this way. We recognize that Satan is in warfare against God. And we are the pawns. Okay? 
Satan, it's really not about us. It's about how Satan wants to get back at God because Satan cast, or God cast Satan out of heaven. And so Satan is angry, angry, angry at God. And the reason that we come into the picture is because God loves us so much that he gave Jesus to die for us. And so now that's taken Satan's fury against God, and he says, okay, God, since I can't get at you directly, I'm going to take it out on your children. I'm going to take it out on your people. That's why we're in the mix. That's how we got involved here. That's why we're in a fight. And if anybody tells you we're not in a fight, then you're not getting the full picture. The, the other reason that we get into a fight is because we're doing something to take back from Satan, which was rightfully his. Okay? Let's, let's just understand who Satan is. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. The Living Bible translation says it this way. I love the way it says it. It says, be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion, looking for some victim to tear apart. Doesn't sound like a little fairy tale guy to me with uh, real red horns and a little red suit, does it? It says, stand firm when he attacks. Trust the Lord and remember that other Christians all around the world are going through these sufferings too. We're not alone. But Satan is purposely coming after us. If you are advancing the kingdom of God in your life, in your home, in your church, in your community, you have a bullseye on your back and Satan is coming after you. I'm just telling you. But Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. So let's talk about what the good fight is. We've got 10 minutes to talk about it. Then we're going to pick it up again next week where we don't get finished off this week. Fight the good fight. Now, if there's a good fight, can I make the supposition that there's also a bad fight? If he just says fight the fight then there would be probably just no good or no bad. But if he says, Timothy, fight the good fight, there must also be a bad fight. Let's think about that for a minute. What's the difference between a good fight, the good fight and a bad fight? Let me, just, let me make this statement, and then we're going to have to tend, spend the next uh, minutes and maybe days trying to justify what I'm going to say. But the fight becomes a good fight when the fight becomes my fight. The fight becomes the good fight when the fight becomes my fight. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? You're going to, but let it chew on, chew on it for a bit. What does that mean? If we're going to establish the fact that Christians are going to have a fight, we might as well look at, the, look at what we, let, let's make it a good fight and let's not let it be the bad fight. Let's also understand that in order for there to be a fight, there must be two contenders. There's got to be a contender in corner A and a contender in corner B, and they have to be opposing. It doesn't have to mean they're equals. It just means they're opposing. They're opposing positions, and they're going to come together, and they're going to clash, and they're going to fight, right? My dad would always tell me, and I would hate it when he would say this because he would just take the air out of my sails, but he would say, you know, if I was fighting with my brother or my siblings, my sisters, he would always say it takes two to fight. It takes two to fight. 
In other words, so you're both going to get in trouble. <laughs> you're both going to get the whipping, okay? Because if, if you refuse to fight, then there's not going to be a fight. But it takes two people to fight. So there must be two opposing sides. In the fight that we're in right now, God is on one side and the devil is on the other side. Again, they don't have to be equal. They just have to be opposing because Satan is nowhere close to being equal to God. I will just say that right now. He is not an equal foe, but he is very much in opposition to God. So we have the, we have the, the, um, we have the equation. We have the components of a good equation. Two, one person plus this person equals a fight. <laughs> and that's exactly what's happening. So for the fight to become a good fight, the fight has to be my fight. Now let me give you an example. We need, what this means is that I have to believe in the cause of the fight to the point that I'm fighting to win, not because I'm told to fight, but because I believe so much in the cause that I'm willing to die for it. When I can believe so much in the cause of the fight and I'm willing to die for it, now it becomes my fight and now it becomes a good fight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. If we're going to be a true follower of Christ, we must die to ourselves. And I must know, for me to die to myself, that's pretty severe. So I must have to know, why am I dying to myself? Why do I have to go to that extreme to die to myself? That's what we're talking about. That's the good fight. And when I can get to the level of understanding for the reason for the fight, now I'm qualified to be a part of the fight because I know who the real enemy is and I know whose side I'm on. Now the fight becomes a good fight. Let me give you an example. Hopefully it will make this a little bit more clear. When I was growing up, I grew up in this church. I grew up in the Assemblies of God Church, and I grew up uh, as a kid in the, in the pews, and I grew up sleeping in the pews and all that stuff. And so from the very earliest of my, my memories, I grew up in a church. Um, I knew my parents' faith, and uh, as, a, as a kid, um, I believed what they believed because that's what kids do. You believe what your parents believe. And, it, it was, and I was living on their faith most of the time. And when I was going through that process of growing up and get a little bit older and I started to have questions to the faith and I started to have questions to uh, my behavior, my actions, um, I always didn't do the things that would honor my parents' faith because it wasn't my faith, it was their faith. And so really what I found myself in is I, I found myself in a battle, in a fight with my parents. And this is how it equated out. Me and the devil against my parents. Because at that point, I didn't know there was a good fight. In fact, I, didn't, I, I was willing to fight, but it wasn't, I wasn't fighting for what I believed. And so I was my parent. I was confused. I was, okay, there's, they're, they're saying that, but the devil says I can do this. It's so much more fun to go with him because I want to do what my friends are doing. I, I, I want to party with my friends, and I want to do this with my girlfriend, and I want to do all this other stuff, and, but my parents say, no, I shouldn't. And so as long as I'm um, trying to live off their faith, it's not my fight yet. It's their fight. It's, 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 and, and all of a sudden, I'm in a bad fight because I'm fighting more against my parents than I was with my parents. You know what I'm saying? The devil, I, I, was, I was teaming up with the devil's side of the fight 
because I'm thinking, now how can I do things and get away with them and still appear to be the good boy that I wanted to be, but yet the devil had me over here doing the things I wanted to do, and that's not the good fight because I'm not teaming up with the right side. And it wasn't until I get older and I go through life a little bit and I get away from my parents a little bit and then I start making that faith that they had, my faith, and I really got saved and I really understood what God is saying in his word and now I'm living my life righteously and all of a sudden I see the fight to change because now I'm not on the enemy's side against my parents. No, I've changed over here to God's side against the enemy. And now I'm in the good fight because it's my faith that I'm worth defending now. I'm not just defending my parents' faith. I'm defending my faith. Does that make sense? Do you see how that happens when, when, we, when we side with the right side, it becomes the good fight? Or if we stay in the bad side, it becomes the bad fight? Because we can fight against God. Did you know that? Did you know that we can fight against God? Wow. Good fight or bad fight? Who's going to win? It might appear that I'm winning today because I'm doing what I want to do. I'm rebelling against God and I'm doing what I want to do. I'm living the way I want to live and I'm happy doing it and I'm successful doing it and, and even blessed. I might even have lots of money. But at the end of the day, if, when, when, when it's all measured out and the scales are balanced out, if I'm not on the right side of the fight, you know what's going to happen. That's why I went to so much time at the beginning of this trying to understand heaven and hell because I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of that equation because I want to be in the good fight. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, the Living Translation says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Man, this is Jesus' words, okay? This is red letter stuff. This is Jesus saying this. This is helping us to determine what the good fight is. Now, next week, we're going to pick it up and we're going to start talking about how do I know if I'm on a good fight or the bad fight? How do I know it? I'm in a fight, but how do I know if I'm on a good fight or the bad fight? Does that make sense? Are we tracking it all? Have I lost anybody today? Amen. Jackie, are you ready? Okay. Would you come up and play some music? And then we're going to wrap up today. And I, and I hope that what I've done today has challenged you to want to know more about what is the good fight. What is the bad fight? How do I know if I'm in the good fight or the bad fight? And I hope I've challenged you the fact that you want to make sure that you're in the good fight, that you're on the winning side, that you're on the side that is actually going to come out of this thing as a victor and not the victim. So right now, as we end the service, would you just close your eyes with me, please? And I would, I'm going to ask everyone to search their own heart. You know if this message has hit at all to you today, if there is any type of a tension in your life, anything in there that says, man, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm really, truly on the right side. 
I'm not sure if I'm fighting against God or if, if I'm fighting with God against the enemy. I just want to assure you there's a way to find that out. And that's what that's called, repentance. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, as you're looking at your heart, if there's anything in you that you need to repent of and you need to say, I'm sorry for, you could be a Christian, but yet there's still things in your life that you need to repent of. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Make God know. Thank you. Make God know that there are some areas that you're struggling with. And to be honest, because he sees your heart anyways. Yeah. And he's on your side. Believe me, he's on your side. We have to choose to be on his side. And that's what this prayer is about right now. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me that we will just be on the right side of this equation. That we will be battling for the good fight that Paul is encouraging Timothy. The good fight for true faith. So, Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, you saw all the hands that went up, and most importantly, you see, all, you see all the hearts that are here. And, Lord, we just come to you not in any way to condemn or to point out our failures, but we are here to bring them to you to ask you to forgive us of our failures and to make us your child. Give us new life today. Father, forgive us for the things that we've done wrong and we continue to do wrong. Forgive us. Lord, give us the power and the authority through the grace that you've given us to fulfill your perfect purpose in our life. So I pray for every person here today that has acknowledged that honestly to you. And I pray, God, that you would just go to them and fill them with your joy and your love and your assurance that you truly are with them and we truly are on the right side, and we truly are in the good fight. And I thank you for that. And I give you glory, and I give you praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jackie, would you lead us in a song and worship? You can stand if you'd like, and let's just worship him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. This is my desire to
Father, just be with us today. Go with us today, Father. We're so thankful that you've chosen us and we choose you back. Be with us. Be pleased. Be blessed today as you go. In Jesus' name, amen.